I'm excited this morning uh, to begin a brand new series of messages entitled Foreigners. Uh, before that, just want to thank you for watching at Grace Community Church. There's a lot of great churches in our community uh, that you could be part of, and just thanks for taking the time to connect your family here and decide to plant your feet here uh, as we try to be in the community and for the community for Jesus Christ. Just love that last worship song. What a beautiful name it is, Jesus, isn't it? The power uh, in his name uh, reminds me when we were uh, in our, on our most recent missions trip to Cambodia and Thailand, which God allowed me to lead the team here from Grace to visit our rescued orphans. I encouraged our team, and I always encourage teams, when you walk by a shrine house, which were all over the country of Cambodia and Thailand, just speak the name of Jesus Christ out loud. Demons flee, and they have to run, and Satan has to flee. And so as we walked through the country and would see a shrine house, a teammate or team member, I did it regularly, just walk up and say, Jesus Christ. And his name is above all names, and every knee shall bow, either here or now, or one day they will, and will glorify him, whether they want to or whether they are willing to. Um, Today, as we begin this new series, Foreigners... How do we live in this world that we're in, yet we don't belong here? This isn't our home. I really encourage you to, to, to cue in to some of these thoughts. And, and uh, even as we got away from our last message, really encourage you not to get distracted with social media and your phones and texting and answering questions and uh, really take the last series of messages to light and really allow the Spirit of God to speak through you through His Word even right now, as we begin this message today. After traveling to Asia again, and praise God that he allows us to, to have a church plan on the other side of the world, people often ask us, do you have any multiple sites? I say, yes, we do. We have one in Cambodia and one in Thailand. And it's loaded with 50 kids uh, that are worshiping and serving, house parents that love Jesus, training and equipping them to be the leaders of their country. And that's the purpose of a local church. And we have one in Cambodia and Thailand. But as we were there, I was reminded regularly, every time we entered an airport and every time we exited an airport or an airplane, there was a sign when you landed in another country that said this, foreigner, domestic. And you knew by your citizenship or your passport, whether you were a foreigner or whether you were domestic native of that country. And so as you exited your airplane, and we exited our airplanes to go in transit or transfer to finally get to Siem Reap, Cambodia, we often went the opposite direction of a whole group of people that were on the plane with us based upon our citizenship. We were foreigners. And so each time we left, we found our way through the airport, and we would walk to a desk, and they would stamp our passport, or they would allow us to walk through or give us a visa to enter the country that we were going into. And if you've ever done that, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you're already familiar with that process. It was pretty apparent as soon as we walked to airports that weren't our home, and we were foreigners, that we didn't understand language, that we were a different often a different race and a different color, and that we were different than the people that we were going to spend time with. Now, on the return flight, it was always interesting, and is always interesting, as you fly into Chicago, in this case, and you're about to enter the USA, 
you go a different direction. You go the direction of a domestic. And it's interesting as you pull out your passport, of which I have a few here. Some have been filled and some have been used in extra pages. You take your passport and you put it on this machine and it recognizes you as a citizen of the USA. And every time I walk down the hallway of Chicago or LA and I fly back into America, I see a sign that says, welcome to the USA. I'm reminded that I'm home. And as I come to the, the, the counter and I show the clerk my passport, even this most recent trip, I said these words, it's good to be home. And yet scripture gives us a reminder that this isn't our home. The USA isn't our home, that we're foreigners or aliens or strangers here, and that we should live in such a way that we don't consider this our home, that we're here for a short period of time. If you've ever traveled on a short-term missions trip with me or others, and if you've ever traveled with me, you'll see that I carry these two pieces of luggage. One is a backpack. I'll carry this backpack. It's been to many countries numerous times in the teens I've been overseas. And I'll pack everything I need for that 10-day or two-week missions trip in this piece of luggage marked with the orange tape and all the teammates yarn have it so we can recognize our luggage on the turnstile. And I'll have this backpack. And if you travel on teams, you'll often look, they call it, look for the turtle. Follow him. He's the guy out in front. And so as we travel, we travel with two pieces of luggage. Now, some bags are bigger, but there's a limit to what you can carry, and it's 50 pounds. And so you soon recognize that all that you have and all that you need for that short-term missions trip comes down to simple possessions of what goes in here and what goes in here. And the purpose of that is so that we can remain light, we can be flexible, and we can be on mission where we're at. The Bible is clear that you and I are foreigners. And when we know who we are and why we live, we live differently. And when you live a life that says, this isn't my home, that my home is in heaven, we live on mission. A few years back here at Grace Community Church, we had a desire to go and see if we could plant churches in Vietnam. And so there were a group of us, not only from here, but across the country, that wanted to take a team to Vietnam. I was part of that team leading that team. The team was predominantly Vietnam veterans. And let me just pull away and say this to our Vietnam vets. I apologize for the way that you were treated by our country and by people. But let me say this. Maybe you've never heard this. And you might wonder, what good was the Vietnam War? Let me tell you, the good has come from the Vietnam War. On my trip into Vietnam, there were many South Vietnamese that knew English because you took time when they were kids to teach them songs and speak to them. There are many now that have grown up and understand English. And because you went in with English and because you went in and you befriended them and they knew that you were on their side, we and me could follow up with the gospel of Jesus Christ in English and tell them about the good news of Jesus. Had you not gone before us, I could have never followed behind you with the good news of Jesus Christ. So I thank you for that. 
on one of our trips in, we were on mission. We packed our bags and packed a bag, and we would go to our lobby every morning in the hotel, and we would ask the Lord to give us an opportunity to meet people of peace so that we could share the gospel. And so we would jump on bikes and we would ride to businesses and see who would speak English and we would share the gospel. And one morning we were in the foyer of the hotel that we were in. And we noticed that there was a European there. We stick out, he stuck out and we befriended him. We figured we might as well share Christ with him too. Push came to shove and we introduced ourselves and he introduced himself and we soon found out that he was in Vietnam for a wedding. And so we asked him about the wedding. Who's getting married? He said, I'm getting married. I'm marrying a Vietnamese gal. And he said, my family chose not to come over here. I don't have anyone on my side to stand up and be with me. Would you come to our wedding? Well, why, sure. And so we said, we will. He told us the day of the wedding. So that morning we woke up, we got in some tuk-tuks and we found ourselves working our way out into the jungle of Vietnam. And the closer we got, we saw this incredible ceremony with these tents that were all set up. And we were guests of the groom invited by this man. And we saw it as an opportunity to take the gospel to Vietnam. Needless to say, we didn't realize what God was up to completely. As we entered this jungle area and this wedding, we didn't recognize what culture would give us. And as a guest of the groom, you were able to sit at the table with the father of the bride and the grandfather of the bride. We found ourselves in the jungle of Vietnam, seated at this large table with these Vietnamese men who were the father and the grandfather, all six of us were there, of the bride-to-be. Now picture, if you can, if you were a former Vietnam veteran, you're now setting on what was at one time enemy's territory. We had six Vietnam veterans with us. We began to begin a conversation. And prior to that, I had asked you to pray for me as I headed to Vietnam because I wanted and we wanted to reach the people that were there. And I asked you to pray for me because I wanted to be able to sit in the context with them and be able to do life with them. And one of the things I knew that the possibility would exist that I might have to have some alcohol in front of me. You know where I stand on that. I go Proverbs 31, I choose not to drink. I don't think it's wise for a leader to drink. Not because it's sinful, but because there's wisdom in that. And I haven't drank and hadn't drank up to that point in Having prior history where my father struggled with alcohol, I've chosen not to drink alcohol. Knowing that, going into this, that I might have to drink a beer or sip on a beer to be accepted in the culture, I ask you to pray. We sat down at this table. As we sat at this table, I don't know much about beer, have no desire to know much about beer or alcohol. And as I sat there, I didn't know, but I didn't know that... In America, you don't drink your beer with ice cubes, and they do in Vietnam. And the grandfather beside me opened up a tiger beer and poured the beer into my cup. I had a decision to make. Now, for some of you, it might not be that big a decision. I had a decision to make. Would I sip on this and recognize that I might have a propensity for alcohol and consumption and addiction? 
But knowing that I was prayed for and carried by the Holy Spirit, I decided that I would take this beer because I had a chance to witness and I would begin sipping on it. So I'm in the middle of a jungle. When he wasn't looking, I held it to my mouth and poured it on the ground. And I set it back up on the table. I didn't know culture in Vietnam. Culture in Vietnam is when your glass is empty, they refill it. So the grandfather, the bride, kind of looked at me and said, he liked drink. And he poured it in there. And I soon understood culture and just held it in my hand. In the midst of this conversation, God did something incredible. Across the table, we began talking about the Vietnam War. They call it the Great War, the Vietnamese. We call it the Vietnam War. And we soon found out that the grandfather was former Viet Cong. Viet Cong the enemy of us. And before we knew it, we were swapping stories and the vets were swapping stories. And this grandfather stood up, unbuttoned his shirt and took off his shirt and revealed two bullet holes that were just above his heart where bullets had entered from American soldiers and said, I almost died. Took his shirt, buttoned it back up and sat down. And then in a moment that only God could ever do, I watched one of our own, Bob Smoker, a Vietnam vet, two-tour veteran, stand up, reach across the table in Vietnam, in the same province that these both had battled against each other in, reach across the table and ask for the hand of this Viet Cong former enemy and say these words I will never forget with tears running down his face and I was sobbing watching this. He said, I once hated you. I once wanted to kill you. I would have taken your life. You were my enemy. But now, I love you. And I want you to know the only reason I can love you is because Jesus loves me. And I watched this incredible reconciliation take place in the jungle of Vietnam. Why? Because a church and a group of people said, we need to be on mission and place ourselves on foreign soil to reach people for Jesus. Now, Peter has something to say about this. And I want you to grab your Bibles and to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Peter has something to say about foreigners and about this not being our home. And when you find 1 Peter chapter 2, stand with me, and we're going to read verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Read 11 again. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You may have a seat. 
Here's what Peter is saying to the group that was gathered there, a collection of believers that were now gathered together. And this is what he's saying to us. And this is what God is telling us. This place right here where we live is not our home. We are foreigners. In fact, Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, strangers, aliens, to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. This is not our home. When you and I realize, when we fully come to grips with that truth, that the home that you live in, that your citizenship that's called America, the USA, is not your home and heaven is, we realize that we don't want to become too attached to this because our home is in a far different place. It's in a place where the King of Kings and Lord of Lords sits on the throne and rules. It is our home. And so if you and I wake up every day and realize that really all that we really are here are foreigners and not domestic. It changes the way we live. And Peter is reminding this group of Christians that very same thing. When I have conversations, and maybe when you do, I often say this. If I'm traveling back to my birth home, Hagerstown, Maryland, I'll often say, I'm going back home. If I talk about the home here in New Paris, Indiana, I say, I'm going home. So there's back home and home. And both of those places to me are places that are familiar. Places that, that my family is. Places that I'm familiar with what is taking place where they know me and I know them. But Peter is reminding the people that we are foreigners in the place that we are now living. There has been a transaction of citizenship. A transfer of allegiance has taken place that makes you and I a stranger in the world that we live in. Maybe some of you have experienced this, and Peter kind of gives us some insight to this. Maybe some of you have experienced this reality when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Friends that used to be friends have now alienated themselves from you. It isn't the same anymore. Maybe you feel the pain from the lack of invitation to gatherings. And maybe you have been the one to say no because you don't need the temptation that could drag you away from your new allegiance to Jesus Christ. It means this, living as a foreigner, that the places you used to belong to, you no longer belong to. But... Do we really live that way? How many of us have become so attached to this? All our plans, all our time, all of our bucket list dreams, all of our relationships, all of our investments, all of our education, all of the consumption of of time and effort is to somehow make this world that we live in a better place for us? When Peter is saying that this isn't our home, that we have a passport stamp for heaven, and when we enter 
this place called earth. And when you and I get out of bed in the morning, we aren't domestic. We are foreigners. Yet how many of us believe otherwise? Paul said it best in Philippians 3.20. Now listen to that. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this, it's this desire that we eagerly await. It's waking up every day and saying, I can't wait to get home. It's longing for heaven. It's realizing that I don't fit here. I'm a square peg in a round hole. It's the teen realizing at school that before you knew Christ, you fit in. And now it's difficult to stand up for Jesus. It's making decisions and dating relationships says, I will not date. I will not entertain the affections of someone that doesn't have the same citizenship of heaven like I do. It's saying, you know what? I am here for a reason. I'm here to be on mission so that other people can transform their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm here. It's waking up every single day and saying, Lord, I don't belong here. It's realizing that some of us waste so much time and energy making this world a better place when in reality for us, this isn't even our home. It's just a short term missions trip. Think about it that way. If you and I got up every day and we said, Lord, since this isn't our home, we're just on mission for 70 to 90 to 50 to 30 to 20 years. And if we live with the same mindset that this is a short-term missions trip that God has sent us as foreigners in a foreign land to take the message of Jesus, how would that change the way you lived this Sunday? How would that change the way you led your business? How would that change the way you were a dad or a mother or a son or a daughter? How would that change the way you coach? How would that change the way you walk in this world today? If you realize, guess what? I'm on a short-term missions trip this morning. What if we lived each day fully understanding that this earth is not our home? Back to my previous thought about foreigner and domestic. How would we live in this world if we knew this was not our permanent home? Here's what I would do. I wouldn't live much different than I do when I go on a short-term missions trip. I would travel lightly. I would have the bare essentials. I would be generous with my resources and my time and my efforts. And I wouldn't have a collection of things that guards need to protect and security systems need to watch. I would be on mission and I would simplify my life because I can't take any of this with me. I can't because when I walk up to the counter at the airport, they limit how much I can take with me. And they look at me when it's over 50 pounds. And they say, 
If it's over 50 pounds, that's an extra charge. I would limit, I would slice, I would divide, I would share, I would get rid of, I would be generous with, I would simplify my life to the bare essentials of living because this is just a short-term missions trip. I would be flexible and not encumbered with my possessions and the time it takes to take care of my possessions. I would be on mission every day. I would have single focus like you do on short-term missions trip. And I would say this, I'm not here for me, I'm here for them. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to show the light of Christ to the hotel workers, to the taxis, to the tuk-tuk drivers, to the restaurant owners, to the people that are far from God? I would prayer walk through communities every day and pray that God would give me divine appointments if I truly believe that this wasn't my home and I am here on a short-term missions trip. I would live like I do when I go away for two weeks. One morning in Cambodia, we decided to go on a short-term prayer walk. We had about a two-hour window, and so I said, let's prayer walk through Batambang, Cambodia. So we loaded up our backpacks. I said, every time you walk by Shrine House, say the name of Jesus Christ. Let's clean this city. And so as we went, we would pray. And anytime I saw someone, I would engage him in conversation. And I would say this, my name is Jim. Do you speak English? And if someone spoke English, I asked them, them their name. And then I would ask them, do you know Yesu Kree? And you heard me say this maybe last week. I've done that in the shops in Cambodia. There have been many times I went to the shops and said, do you know Yesu Kree? And they come back with, he not work here. And I knew that they didn't know Jesus Christ. On one morning as we were traveling, we saw some homeless people. And I pray they still break your heart. (laughs) I hope that we never become so callous that we don't give them the time. And one of our teammates noticed this mom that was laying on a bench. She was asleep. And there was this naked baby that was nursing off of her as she slept. It just leveled us. And at the same time, there were this group of homeless people that hardly had any clothes on that were standing there, and they were with us. And our team could see they were moved by wanting to help. And as I do, and I believe this is a good philosophy of ministry, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We can't help everyone. But it doesn't give us permission not to help anyone. And so we saw someone in front of us, and I said, well, let's help this person. And so we took out some real, we felt this is the person we prayed that God wanted us to help, and we gave them some real, and we told them about Jesus Christ and why we were here. And as we're walking away, I noticed this man, this business owner, was standing in front of his shops, and he had his iPhone out, and he was videoing us. And as we're walking up, I noticed that he's videoing. I said, my name is Jim, what's your name? And he told me his name. I said, are you videoing me? He went like that. And I asked him, I said, uh, why are you videoing me? He didn't give a reply, but he asked a question. He said, I saw you. I saw you go down there, and he said, I I videotaped you helping out these people. He said, don't you realize when you give them money that they'll use it for drugs? Don't you realize that many 
foreigners come and they leave money and they go out and buy drugs. They don't buy food. And then I went on to explain this. I said, the reason we helped them out is because God has helped us out. And the reason we help them out is because we believe you should do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And I I said, are you still videoing me? He said, yeah. I said, well, then I want to tell you what we did. And I went on to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I figured he's videoing me. I'm just going to talk about Jesus Christ. And he just stood there. And I taught him who Jesus Christ was, why Jesus came, um, why we were there, and unashamedly talked about the gospel. And then I found out that he owned three of the businesses that were there. And so then I asked him, he's still just videotaping me on his phone. And and I asked him, I said, do you have a Facebook account? He said, I do. I said, I have one too. I said, would you write your name on my phone so I can become your friend? He said, sure. So he types in his name and immediately his name pops up. He's got like 5,000 friends. I have, you know, 5,000 friends doesn't mean make me an important than him. But the reason I say that it's difficult to become a friend with someone. And so he can, I began to talk, he began to talk, and I left the conversation, we shared Christ, and we prayed. I went back to the hotel, he responded back to my Facebook Messenger reply, so I went to his page, he has 5,000 friends, and I saw that he was a dignitary of Cambodia. You know what he did with that video? He put it on his Facebook timeline, and all 5,000 of his friends get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be on mission every day, every day of our lives. How would we live differently if we were on mission every day? We would not become too attached to the place we're in. We would work hard to be the light for Jesus. We would tip well. We would smile continuously. We would be courteous to others so that the light of Christ can be seen in us. Listen to me. Please hear me out. If the world is looking at you and you have become so much like the world and they have to strain to see Jesus in you, then you are too much like the world. We should stand apart in love and stand out so that others will want what we have. How else would it change? I wouldn't go anywhere without my passport. Passport is a reminder of your citizenship and your home. I would wake up each day and say, I'm a citizen of heaven. I am bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. I have eternal salvation that was never meant to stop with me. And I want the world to know that even though I'm a foreigner, I want them to be a card-carrying passport owner of Jesus Christ too. Peter is urging this group of believers that while it may feel like home to you and some of you were born here, your home is now in heaven and not here. So you must live differently than the citizens of this place. What's that mean? Don't dig in too deep. Don't invest too much. Remind yourself, you need to be flexible. You need to move at a moment's notice. You need to be always thinking about the needs of others. You got to be constantly saying, who else can I take the gospel to? And we would live 
very, very simply. One translation translates this passage this way. Friends, the world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudice. Then they will be won over to God's side and they there will want to or they will want to join in the celebration when he arrives. Peter also reminds this when, when you're living in a home that's not yours, it's going to be challenging. Look again, look what he says in 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's saying this, guess what? You're going to have some challenges. There are going to be things coming at you. There are going to be people coming at you. There are going to be choices coming at you. There are going to be decisions coming at you that will wage against what Christ wants you to do. And you have a decision to make. Will I succumb and live like I'm a domestic resident? Or will I live differently? Because my home is with Christ in heaven. This temporary residence wants to pull you in and make you believe that it's all you need. Yes, we're on mission. But know that the world in which you now live wages a war against everything that is true, noble, right, and pure. The world in this culture that you are trying to reach has traps everywhere, Peter is saying. And they are trying to get you entangled, trying to divert the short-term mission mindset. I always tell our teams before we leave, we meet at our home and we go over things, and I'll say this. Don't be surprised if all hell breaks loose in your home before you leave. Don't be surprised if your muffler drops off, if you throw the crank in your engine. Don't be surprised if you and your husband are at each other like never. Don't be surprised if one of your children rebels in a season prior to you leaving. And then I say this. When it happens, remember who the enemy is. It's not her, and it's not him, and it's not them. It's Satan. And when that temptation and when that war or battle or that skirmish or that fire begins to surface, here's what you need to say to yourself. Here's what you need to say. I must have moved to the front lines of Jesus Christ. And listen, Satan, you will not defeat me. I praise God for this war. But let me ask you something. Is that what you do? When a relationship goes south, let me just say something. If you're not making a difference for the kingdom, if you're not advancing the gospel, then let me tell you something. Then the enemy could care less about you. But the second you decide as a father, as a mother, as a son or daughter to chase after Jesus Christ and you enter the enemy's territory, Peter says, watch out. There's a war raging against your soul. Don't let it divert you from the mission. Stand in the face of it in Jesus' name and say, I will not be defeated. Praise God. That's the mindset of a soldier. 
You see, the systems of this world and the God of this age wants to derail you. His greatest ploy is to pit us against each other and to divide us so that the team is not united. Now, hear me out. I'm going to speak, and this is going to speak right to you and to me. Consider how much time we waste on sideways relationships. Seriously, pull away. How much time do you waste because you can't forgive someone? How much time do you waste building your case so that you have the right to be right about something with somebody? How much time do you waste for yourself chasing after your own interests, your own desires, your own pleasures? How much time, think about all the energy that Christians waste going sideways because of relational issues, wanting, not wanting to forgive and holding things against each other. Imagine for a second if we took that passion and that time and energy and placed it into serving, loving, and showing the world that they need Jesus Christ. One of the best ways the enemy diverts us from being on mission is the time wasted for us. I need to know more. I need to spend more time with others that know more. I need this. I need that. Listen to me. At some point, we got to say, I'm going to let the teacher, the Holy Spirit, instruct me, and I'm just gone to the mission field. We have spent so much time and energy going sideways in relationships with believers How in the world can we ever reach the world if we're consumed with always fixing us and fixing that because we harbor bitterness and resentment? How can we ever be who Christ wants us to be if we're always consumed with us? I'm mad. They did this. I can't forgive. I can't believe the pastor said that. I can't believe my, my, my employer did that. I can't believe these construction signs. The energy and time we waste. Seriously, come on, church. No, we do. We just eat right out of the devil's hand. He diverts us from the mission. I wish we would live the way we do on short term mission trips. You see, the sinful desires that often wage against our souls are wanting us to be comfortable in this world. We want to have our interests served above others. We want our rights, and we want to be right. And we have a longing to satisfy the longings of our flesh. When we go on mission, I often say this. We go to Cambodia, Thailand. I look to the leaders of the country, and they ask me, what do you want to do? And I say, what do you want us to do? How can we best serve you? <laughs> like, imagine that. If every relationship we were in, how can I best serve you, honey? You're my wife. How can I best serve you? You're my husband. How can I best serve you? You're my children. How can I best serve you? You're my neighbor. What can I do to serve you? instead of wanting to be served. Don't be surprised by the obstacles Peter is saying that try to derail your faith. I often say to our teams that we have nothing to fear when challenges surface. If God is for us, who can ever stand against us? 
we must be willing to walk through the flames and praise the name in the midst of them so that the world sees us as difference. Most Christians spend their lives being comfortable instead of seeking what they are capable of becoming. Peter is reminding us as aliens and foreigners that it will be difficult, that we will be tempted to want to do what people that live here want to do. And if you want this world to be your home, then listen to me. It's easy. Just adopt the philosophies of this world. Sometimes we work so hard to be like the world and understand the culture that the world can't see Jesus in us. I want to say this again. If people have to strain to find Jesus in your life or your mission, then you have lost your mission. We don't have to apologize for Jesus Christ. So what's it mean to me and you to live on mission? It means there will be days you feel different. Why? Because you're a foreigner. There's days you don't understand the language. And I'd go up and talk to someone in another country, and I tried to explain. We had a situation at the airport, so I went to a, 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 a police officer and said, can you help me? And he's looking at me, and so I start talking real fast, and like, that would help. And then we start talking louder as Americans. You go, Joe Shadowstone! He's looking at me like, slow down and quiet. He didn't understand. And I was like, no, don't you understand? No, I don't understand. We're different. It will be different. There'll be times you'll be misunderstood. There'll be times you'll be rejected. There'll be times your kids have to pull out of relationship. There'll be times that you'll need to stand when no one else stands. There'll be times you'll lose some friends. Because of this new citizenship. There were times you have to say no when the flesh wants to say yes. There were times you have to talk to yourself instead of listen to yourself. But Peter says this, look what he says. He says, in light of that, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's that mean? Do good regardless, even if you're being rejected. Live a life that reflects Jesus and let them know you love them and truly care about them. The point is this. This world is always watching us trying to see if there's something about what we have that's worth having for themselves. Jesus said this in John's gospel that if we truly love one another, that will wash their feet. If we truly love one another, we'll serve them. If we truly love one another, we will lay our lives down for one another. I'm always puzzled by that when I watch Christians who want nothing to do with other Christians, who hold something against them, and so they leave, they depart. Never to have a conversation with them again, holding something against them. And I wonder, my, my, my mind says this, how in the world... Do you think you're going to spend eternity with them if you can't get along with them on earth? I wouldn't be surprised if God builds a mansion right beside that person when you get to heaven. Just to show you that it's possible. 
You see, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Christians ought to be the most honest people on earth. Christians ought to forgive quickly and extend grace generously. Christians ought to be the, to, ought to love others, other Christians, and not keep records of wrongs. Christians ought not to worry about tomorrow, but t- to give their all today. Christians ought to be willing to lay down their lives for one another. Now listen, would you? They're your brothers and sisters. Beth Moore said this recently, and she is so spot on about this that it breaks my heart. She says, we are meaner than hell as Christians. And we wonder why people don't want to go to heaven with us. It's the truth. We can't even get along with each other. We hold stuff against each other. We go sideways in relational issues all the time. We waste so much time to be right. And the world is going to hell. I wonder how many people are pointed to Jesus because of the way we love and treat others. And believe me, they're watching. <laughs> they got their video cameras. And they're watching. There's such joy that comes when living on mission and leaning on Jesus in hard situations. Plus, once we live to impress no one, and honor only one, Jesus becomes our one and only one. Listen to me. I don't need to impress anyone, and I only have to honor one, and that is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It changes the way you live. The reason we ought to live good lives is to win the world to Jesus so that they will trust in him as their Lord and Savior and they change their allegiance. Can I ask you some really honest questions? Would you be willing? simplify your life to this only so that the world can be one to Jesus Christ? Are you the traveler who takes 19 bags? Because I need all that. I need all that stuff. Or are you willing to say, God, search my heart. Have I placed my citizenship in the USA instead of heaven? Am I so encumbered by the things of this earth that I don't look any different than the people who have citizenship in this earth? Do I need God? to change the lenses of my eyes so that I wake up every morning on a short-term missions trip for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, or 70 years. Oh, God, help us, God. Peter is telling us and reminding us that we're aliens, we're foreigners, we're strangers, This is not our home. And he reminds us that something is waging against our soul. 
this desire to belong to a foreign country, this desire to establish and dig in and make it a permanent residence instead of a temporary visa. Oh God, help us not to be so concerned about tomorrow that we miss out on what you want us to do today. Help us to surrender our longings, our our dreams, our investments, our bucket lists, our need to be right, and all the sideways stuff in relationships that keeps us from being on mission. God, I pray that you would remind us regularly this week, time after time, moment after moment, that our passport is stamped heaven and not earth. In Jesus' name, amen.